Hello and welcome to the Spice Cast, the podcast where we talk about spices and spicy moments in our everyday lives. I'm your host, Ruben, and joining me this episode are two very special guests. Guest number one, would you please introduce yourself? Moa Deep. Moa Deep. Yo, my name's uh, Nick Fitzke, um, one of Ruben's old friends from back in the day. Excited to have you on, on Nick. Yeah, I'm excited too. This is going to be fun. Yeah. And uh, guest number two, who are you? Uh, fear is the mind killer. Um, I am uh, Steven, um, uh, yeah, a good friend of uh, Ruben's um, and a uh, big nerd. So, yeah. Yeah, we are excited to have both of you on for this very uh, nerdy episode. Nerdier than usual, although we usually talk about spices. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a strange episode where we're going to talk about uh, something slightly different. And those of you who know the series uh, may have picked up on what both of these guys were saying. Um, We are going to be talking about the Spice Melange, the fictional spice from the Dune universe. Uh, Sorry, not exactly a fictional spice. It's a a fictional substance um, that may have some qualities uh, that that, uh, would make it a spice. So... um, So one of the reasons that we decided to focus on the Spice Melange for this episode is that there is a new Dune movie coming out this year, 2021, October 22nd. There will be a new Dune movie uh, featuring Timothy Chalamet and a bunch of other like super famous actors. And uh, we're excited about it. So that's why we wanted to record this episode now and get it out to you in September. So if you're new to the the dune universe or the dune series maybe consider checking out the uh the new movie that's coming out next month if you're listening to this uh when it comes out and just so you know uh we're going to be talking heavily about the dune series uh and we're not going to be concerning ourselves with uh censoring spoilers so if you do not want to be spoiled on the 1965 dune book uh, or you know the 1984 movie, uh, or any of the subsequent sequels and spin-offs that have uh, come out of that. Uh, please, uh, you know, take care to uh, read those and watch those and, and view those media before uh, listening to this show. Thanks. Without further ado, I guess let's get into it. Uh, Nick, do you want to give a quick summary of the uh, original Dune? Sure. Yeah. Um, so Dune was a, is a novel uh, by Frank Herbert, um, and for my research here into the, into the series and, and the spice, I watched the 1984 uh, David Lynch film uh, based on the novel there. Um, so essentially, uh, it's a science fiction uh, book and, and movie um, where there's this far future. Uh, I think it actually takes place like within our universe, just very, very far in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Where there's this galactic empire and this emperor, um, Paradish uh, Saddam, the fifth or no, the fourth, um, and uh, the, basically these political um, workings between him, the spacing guild, uh, and these essentially like royal houses. Um, and the key houses that you know are in this story are House Atreides and House Harkonnen. Um, basically, the the guild is 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 telling the emperor that we need to deal with this House Atreides because um, they're going to take control of this spice production. And what spice is is this like essentially like power source. It's a it's this 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 ancient. Uh, fuel essentially that comes from this one planet called uh, Arrakis um, and so basically they fear that House Atreides is gonna you know monopolize the spice and then sort of take over the universe um, so the story follows pretty much the, the, the main character Paul Atreides um, as he and his family move to Arrakis to sort of take over spice production um, and then the plots to assassinate them, and then the eventual um, success, you know, successful plot to assassinate his father, and then his exile, um, where Paul, you know, meets the 
the natives of the planet who are very much in touch with the spice and the, the biology of the planet, which involves these sp space worms, which are maybe the spice. It's hinted that they have some relation to the spice. I won't get too far into that. We'll explain that later, I guess. But uh, um, And then Paul's rise to power in this sort of like pseudo-revolutionary um, army where they're trying to take back Arrakis from the Harkonnens and the Emperor and, you know, ultimately the Space Guild. Um, that's the nitty-gritty of, of Dune, um, the first Dune movie there. Uh, I don't know if, yeah. if you guys have anything else to add. Yeah, I mean, some of the central themes of the story are um, obviously, you know, political conflict um, over, um, like, a single uh, sole resource. Um, it mimics a lot of the political conflict over oil um, on real-world Earth. Um, in addition, uh, the uh, it also focuses um, not Dune and, and some of the later books uh, focus on um, the the detriments to like blind religious devotion um, and uh, you know kind of some of the other other fallouts of um, like what would happen if uh, people had the ability to perceive the future um, and and some of the some of the fallouts of those kinds of particular things. Yeah, and Spice is central to all of this because it's sort of the through line throughout not only the first book, which was released in 1965, but throughout the entire like extremely long series and throughout the franchise, which has expanded to like all kinds of different media, including, like Nick mentioned, movies, uh, TV shows, video games, uh soundtracks various in, in various things that were inspired by all of these works mm -hmm. uh comic books so all of that and uh spice is sort of like the the key uh of of uh the the entire thing right mm -hmm. i mean they're yeah it's the central sort of uh element that drives the story forward is, is who controls the spice the the thing that you know the effects that spice has on people and and in their evolution um so yeah it sort of acts as this 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 anchor for the whole series yeah and and uh the author kind of sets this up by uh giving us a a little bit of a prehistory for the the dune universe um there was a uh, a large revolt uh, a very long time ago in the history of this uh particular universe where um uh, everybody rebelled against artificial intelligence. Um, and so uh, it's sort of a technically backwards future um, where technology is sort of limited uh, in a lot of ways. And they augment those limitations by using spice. So uh, the spice allows um, certain people to see the future. Um, the spice also enhances uh, your mental capabilities. Um, so there's a group of people who are called mentats who consume the spice in order to perform extremely complex calculations. Um, so they kind of replace what we would traditionally use today of computers. They, they use people who are augmented with drugs um, in order to uh, do a lot of these calculations up and including uh, space travel. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the spice has um, a lot of far reaching effects um, in terms of like human genome. Um, if you, uh, you know, kind of overdose on it a lot, uh, it will affect your own biology um, and, and maybe transform you into something that's not quite human, um, as in the case of the Space Guild Navigators. All right. So before we get too much further into the weeds, let's take a step back and talk about what physically the spice melange is. Mm -hmm. So we've been calling it the spice. Uh, it's also known sometimes as simply melange. Mm -hmm. um, either of those are, are uh, appropriate names. The full name is the spice melange. Mm -hmm. So uh, you'll, you'll sometimes hear people reference it that way. So the word melange uh, means mix or mixture in French. Uh, and so it's theorized, although Frank Herbert and his descendants have never, um, you know, never said this, that the name was perhaps a bastardization of un melange de pices, uh, meaning a mixture of spices or a mix of spices in French. Hmm. So the spice melange, a, a mix of spices. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I think that's just sort of a fan theory. 
And it, it doesn't totally make sense um, because it's not actually a mixture of, of anything mm-hmm. particularly, right? It's right. just a, a single substance, mm-hmm. but uh, that, that could have been where the name came from. Yeah. Yeah. Although they do describe it in the books as not ever having the same taste mm-hmm. a second time. So, like, they do describe that it smells like cinnamon, um, and it can taste like cinnamon, but they, they, it never tastes the same way twice because of the way that the human brain kind of interprets the taste and the flavor. It produces such a euphoria that it's always a new experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe in, in that particular right. case, they say it's a mix of spices because it's, it's never the same thing twice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And similar to cinnamon, it's generally brownish, Mm orangish in color. Um, And I think that's maybe where the association with cinnamon came from uh, in the book. Right. Um, But it can also glow with a blue hue, uh, as referenced in one of the later books. Uh, It it, when it's uh, lit by some kind of like bioluminescence, it glows blue. And I I think that had to do with the glow globes. The glow globes are always coming back in those later books. I I I can't keep my my facts straight, but I think that had to do with the glowing blue. Yeah. Um, so, like we've mentioned, spice is considered the most valuable commodity in the universe because of its positive physiological effects, uh, primarily, um, and it is found on the desert planet planet Arrakis. Um, so. A little bit on how spice is produced. So essentially, the spice comes from these sandworms and their adolescent form, the sand trout, um, and then it, through uh, consuming this pre-spice mass, which would be like you know just the material from the planet, um, they excrete this spice that then rises up into the air and sort of perforates the entire planet. Um, and Arrakis is just saturated with, with the spice because of all the worms and the biology of the planet there. Right. And f- some one account that I read was, was that the pre-spice mass actually has this pressure buildup inside of it, and then it explodes, and that's what causes it to come to the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after exposure to the sun and air whatever that substance was before. Some people say it's it's fungal in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that substance becomes the spice. Um, and so we've mentioned Arrakis a lot. Um, spice is only found naturally on the planet Arrakis, but there have been a number of efforts within the Dune universe to synthesize spice. Uh, to minimize dependence on Arrakis or perhaps take power away from the the ruling party or the emperor or things like that. So in the Prelude to Dune prequel trilogy, there are humans that are trying to synthesize spice to minimize that dependence, but it doesn't work properly. Mm -hmm. And that was maybe uh, a few thousand or a few hundred or a thousand years before the the, uh, events of the book Dune. And then by the events of Dune, things are still really dependent on Arrakis for spice, like Nick mentioned at at the top of the show with uh, the two houses, House Atreides and House Harkonnen, uh, fighting uh, over control of the planet, uh, primarily. Mm -hmm. And then there are a number of sequels to Dune, and by the, so one is called God Emperor of Dune, and then the one after that is called Heretics of Dune, mm-hmm. and that and between those two novels, about a f- thousand to fifteen hundred years pass, mm-hmm. um, and during that time, humans have developed the ability to produce spice artificially, uh, and that really upsets the power dynamic of the empire, mm-hmm. uh, and causes there to be sort of uh, multiple different power structures yeah steven did you have anything to add about that i did so one of the interesting i I believe it's a fan theory um it's not kind of explicitly stated but um it's theorized that the sandworms are not technically native to arrakis um and the reason that they, they kind of know that is what happens with the sand trouts is that they they're very small they're they're, most of them are microscopic organisms um and what the sand trouts do is they they 
terraform the planet for the sandworms. They soak up and absorb water um, and basically bury the water low into the planet so that the sandworms can live amongst the sand itself. And then, you know, over a few thousand years, these small little larvae grow into the very large sandworms that are iconic for the series. Um, they have tried, uh, during these expeditions where people have tried to, to replicate spice, they've taken the sand trouts and moved them to different planets. And they've started terraforming these other planets for the, um, the sandworms. Um, so it's theorized that the sandworms are not technically native to Arrakis, that some pre-civilization, um, you know, prior to humans, put them there. Um, and so um, they, uh, the, one of the groups ends up uh, being able to synthesize um, the, the spice. Um, there's also an ultra spice uh, that ends up getting That's developed right. in one of the books where they genetically modified the sand trouts to live on a water planet. Um, and so the, the harvest process is, is fairly different. Um, and I don't think that the sand trout evolve into the very large sandworms like they do on uh, Arrakis. Um, but there is there does end up being several other uh, sources by the time uh, the book series is, is done. Yeah, and an interesting note is that um, some people in the Dune universe believe that Spice is the blood of God, which I, I don't exactly know how people think God works, uh, either in the real world or in the Dune universe, <laughs> but I, I don't know why the blood of God would be growing inside of this planet. I don't, I don't really get that logic. Do either of you have any thoughts about that? Well, I just I just found while watching the movie that there was a ton of religious imagery. Um, one of the yeah. notes I wrote down, like just in like a stream of consciousness, was just space Jesus um, for <laughs> Moadip or Paul uh, Atreides, as he would be known to come, or you know, he changes his name to Moadip after he integrates with the native people there. But uh, so yeah, there's sort of this religious element that's it's found throughout the entire movie. Um, also, in contrast with how the spice is actually used, because like um, you were saying earlier about the, the mentats and how like they use the spice to uh, essentially turn humans into like computers, there's also this other faction, the Bene Gesserit, which use the spice like this. Uh, they're almost like nuns, and they use the spice almost in a religious fashion. So there's this like contrast between the spice being used, you know, for technological advances, but then also for this religious um, movement as well. So it's kind of interesting, in, in, interesting contrast in that way. Yeah, yeah. I think some of the later books explain that the the Bene Gesserit have been kind of controlling the empire for a very long time. Um, it's also hinted that they were the ones that sort of um, uh, forced the uh, the the sort of the anti technology revolution uh, in, in regards to against. Um, artificial intelligence um, because they're the ones who have that prescient foresight um, and they saw they 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 have this sort of doom um, version of, of the universe where there's there's a certain thing that they cannot see um, and so they begin this very long um, genetic breeding program um, in order to kind of develop the superhuman um, and so uh, they put all these plans and motions and they, they develop religions um, they're the ones that sowed the seeds of the prophecy um, that uh, Paul um, and his mother Jessica end up fulfilling when they arrive on Arrakis. So the Fremen, um, the indigenous people of, um, of Arrakis, um, they they have these myths and mythologies and prophecies, and then when the the Bene Gesserit have Jessica and Paul, you know, land on the planet and they they um, help with the coup, and so Paul and Jessica end up fleeing to the Fremen, they automatically fulfill the prophecy that the Bene Gesserit had set up, you know thousands of years prior so there's a lot in terms of like um uh, religious commentary in terms of like blind belief um using religion to control people um to control their perception of reality uh and and all these other kinds of things all right so let's uh take a quick break and we'll be back with uses for the spice melange
So let's talk about some of the uses for the spice melange. Uh, the main use, which is as a drug, uh, we will elaborate on a lot uh, a little bit later. Um, but the other uses are actually pretty interesting. Um, it's used to create paper, plastics, explosive, cloth, rugs, and other material items, which is, it's kind of wild that like the most valuable substance in the universe is used for all of these just mundane purposes, but it is so abundant uh, that the, I think most, most of those substances are created by the Fremen, right? Yeah. So those, they're just able to do that because it's not like such a rare thing on Arrakis to have spice. Yeah. I mean, it, it replaces a lot of the, the other things that you would normally need on a planet, right? Like, so it's a dune, uh, Arrakis is a, uh, it's called dune because it's a desert planet. It consists of just rolling um, sand dunes um, and uh, just rocky outcroppings. Um, so there's very little plant life um, at all on the planet. And so um, the, the, the nature of peoples the the fremen um use the spice for all sorts of things because you can just walk outside pick up a handful of it and do stuff with it right um and so they yeah like like ruben explained they use it to, to create uh all these things like paper plastics um you can use it in explosives um which is you know how they make their their weapons um and then again it's it's mixed with a lot of different uh foods um to create you know coffees beers liquors uh and those kinds of things as well yeah, um, it's also a currency uh, within the Dune universe or a sign of wealth. And I think they're not extremely clear uh, within the writing how much it's actually worth. Uh, it's a lot, obviously. Right. Um, but in, in one book, it says a handful of spice could be enough. It could be worth enough to buy a house. And then in another part of the book or another book in the series, it says a briefcase might be enough to buy an entire planet. So I, I don't know what the house to planet conversion ratio is, but either there was some significant deflation that went on there, uh, or perhaps they're not uh, totally sure how much how much things cost. Yeah, so I think the uh, well, you could also be comparing apples and oranges, right? Like you could buy a house in the capital city, a door away from the emperor, or you could buy a planet uh, out on the fringes that doesn't have any decent min minerals on it. So, um, you know, I think I think it's probably somewhere in the middle there. Like they they probably when they say buy a house, I think they mention a particular planet which we don't have much information about, but it's probably a very affluent planet, right? Like buying uh, a house in like downtown New York City or San Francisco, um, you know, which which go for you know in our world tens of millions of dollars, right? Um, you know, as opposed to you know buying you know scale that up a little bit and just buy the planet. So. Right, and it, we also, you know, it, spice comes in different forms too, you know, gases, you know, the physical form, um, and it, you know, I thought the most interesting use is how they use it to actually bend space itself. So it's not like they're actually accelerating space travel for them is not accelerating uh, through space. They're actually using spice to bend space, almost to create like a wormhole to travel, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that actually comes from the 1984 film. So I, I don't think in, in the original um, Dune f uh, book, um, uh, Herbert goes into uh, any kind of details about the navigators and how they move through space. He kind of just left it up to, um, it just says, you know, faster than light or whatever. But in the movie, they say that the, the level three uh, guild navigators, um, the ones who have been severely genetically modified by the spice, um, not only, you know, plot the calculations to where they're going, but they also are the ones who bend the space. Um, and then Herbert incorporated that into uh, his later novels. So um, if you are doing faster than light travel, uh, you're traveling, uh, you know, an amount of distance in a uh, no time at all, right? Mm -hmm. Does that mean that you're traveling or are you just stationary in two separate places at exactly the same time? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Kind of a, a, a weird esoteric philosophical question. Well, I guess it will, or, or so it's, yeah, I don't know. You're not moving, and then space is just moving around you, or you're 
simultaneously in two spaces i i don't know the answer to that that's i mean it's, it's like a divide by zero error like your normal travel is measured by speed mm -hmm. but if you don't have a speed your speed is infinite mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm not sure yeah so i think it, it depends on the particular form of faster than light travel usually when we talk about folding space we talk about uh like for instance a piece of paper right uh which is a two-dimensional surface you can fold it so that two portions of that space touch at the same point in time and if there was a bug on one side it could you know move to the other side and so that's how a lot of the times uh we describe folding three-dimensional space so that it creates a fourth dimensional contact between those two spaces and then we move right. along that fourth dimension um, until we reemerge in the third dimension at another particular uh, you know, location. So in that case, you are traveling. You're just traveling through a different dimension, and therefore your, your speed when measured in three dimensions is going to be really fast, but not infinite. Right, right. right. It would be some yeah. you know, significantly higher portion of, of speed. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that makes logical sense, but also... I, I want there, I, I, it's like, you know, traveling without moving, mm -hmm. sort of. That's the, the, the weird way to think about it. Right. Anyway, yeah, it is. digression. The, the, other, the other fun and interesting thing about is that people will say that, you know, light, uh, the speed of light is sort of the speed limit of the universe, which is kind of not technically true. Light travels at the speed of time. So, uh, which is a really fun and interesting kind of concept to, to theorize and, and to think about is that, um, you know, time, time is a dimension of our reality, um, you know, and uh, space and time kind of exist on the same continuum, which is why, you know, you call it the space-time continuum. And so, you know, light, the, the, the idea of faster than light travel, you really mean that you're, you're traveling faster than time. So, which is, which is just a strange and bizarre concept to think about. Right, and that's why people get younger when they travel faster than time. Is is that the is that the conceit there? Uh, I, th I think in that particular case, um, relativity breaks down. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know if there's there's frames of reference for that. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. My only frame of reference for that would be like that Interstellar movie where they were aging essentially slower than everyone else around them because they were moving at a higher rate of light speed or whatever near that black hole but yeah if i'm understanding that correctly yeah the the time was was traveling at different rates um during at those at those two particular locations in either orbit around the planet or on the surface of the planet so so yes yeah, so and i guess this the same thing could be true in a wormhole if you're traveling through the fourth dimension time could move very differently than we're accustomed to right. right it could take you years to travel that particular distance whereas in the real world no time might have passed right all right so with that uh distraction <laughs> aside uh either of you have any other things to talk about before we take a break for our a word from our sponsor yeah i think we're all set yeah all right so let's pause for a word from our sponsor Now, a word from our sponsor. This episode of the SpiceCast is sponsored by Genomics. Genomics is doing the difficult and important work of completely mapping the genome of the common garden gnome. Why are they doing this, you might ask? Well, the common garden gnome population has been on the decline since the late 1970s, in part due to habitat loss, but also for unexplained reasons. So you might say that it's becoming the uncommon garden gnome. Genomics believes that if we can better understand gnome genetics, we might be able to reverse the trend and bring this species back from the brink of extinction. Go to genomics.org today to find out how you can help this worthy cause. That's G-E-G-N-O-M-I-C-S dot org. So Nick, what do you think about genomics? I think this is a worthy cause. I've certainly noticed a downcline in the, the gnomes in my neighborhood. So I, I would I would advise everyone to go to that website and, you know, do what they can for for the known populations. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to save any species that we can. And so 
you know, genomics is just doing that, that super valuable work. Steven, did you have any thoughts? Uh, I do. Um, is the, I'm not very familiar with, uh, the, you know, kind of gnomes. Um, is the travel gnome a different species than the common gnome? Yeah, so the, the common garden gnome is the one that's on a steep decline. Mm -hmm. I believe the, the travel gnome is much rarer, but it has always been very rare. And so uh, preservation is, is more about just preserving the habitats with that one. And, and we're not in such a, such a danger of having that one go extinct, if that makes sense. Okay, okay. Although I think uh, sequencing that genome would be... Uh, a pretty nice uh, idea for genomics. So I hope you're listening genomics. <laughs> yeah, I know gnome hunting has, has become a real big issue these days. The poachers out there. So hopefully this genetics research can can help preserve these guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, also, you know, their 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 natural predator, the lawn flamingo, um, I think has has seen a population surge recently. So. Uh, I think true. that's that that's also true. have to have yeah. to take into consideration, you know, some of these natural causes like we're destroying the lawn flamingos natural habitat. And so they're moving into the uh, the garden gnomes habitat and they're, you know, they're out competing um, and eating them. So I think that's it's it's it, there's there's a lot of complex issues that kind of go into this. And um, I, I do appreciate the, the conservation efforts. Yeah. And I mean, just knowing more is going to help us uh, in being able to understand not only like because we, we can certainly uh, talk about the, the obvious causes, but mm -hmm. I think these the scientists at Genomics think that there's a more insidious cause within the, the known population, which is related to its genetic structure. Mm -hmm. And so um, that would that would be, uh, you know, impossible to know just by examining their habitat. And, and so that's why this work is is really crucial. So do you think that um, the idea of gnomes um, that's sort of been perpetuated by uh, sort of these uh, fantastical or historical fantastical writers um, aids or is, is a detriment to sort of the, the gnome plight itself? That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think on the one hand, it's like there, there's no such thing as, as bad publicity. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, ex exposure in, in any way, in any way is going to raise awareness about the, the issues at play. Um, and you can see that in, in stuff like, uh, the, the, the Harry Potter, uh, house elf, uh, awareness. I, I think people became a lot more aware of, uh, of house elf rights and, and house elf, um, you know, uh, the, the plight of house elves after, after that book happened. Uh, and so you could you could say the same thing, but on the other hand, a lot of the a lot of the gnomes in uh, fantasy stories and, and fairy tales are, are sort of like uh, you know ostracized, minim minimized, mm -hmm. and their their problems are not really taken seriously. And mm -hmm. so you could lead to, it could it could lead to sort of um, you know xenophobia, and, and I think we've seen that uh, with various groups uh, and various species uh, around the around the world recently. Right. So um, I, I think it's a difficult a, a difficult issue, but I, I think what was really great about Harry Potter for house elves is that there was this idea of elfish welfare and they were promoted as a, a species in that, that deserved to be respected. And so I think if more people are, are willing to write about gnomes in a positive light and in a positive way, um, then I, I, I think, uh, you know, we could, that, that would certainly help the cause. True. And there has been a lot of misrepresentation of gnomish culture, uh, Sherlock gnomes and such. Everyone know that, right. everyone knows that like all gnomes have beards, regardless, you know, male, female, they all have beards, but they're, they're creating these false, false imagery of these gnomes and, and it doesn't really help with the natural preservation. Um, yeah. So just another reason that genomics is doing powerful and important work. So uh, I want to say thank you very much to genomics for being a proud sponsor of the SpiceCast. Genomics, mapping the garden gnome genome, one unknown gnome gene at a time. And now back to the show.
let's get back into it and talk a little bit about the effects of the spice melange as a drug. So we've mentioned a few of the effects, but I wanted to go over um, each of them in a little bit more detail. So the primary effect that I think most uh, users of the spice uh, understand is that it's going to give them a longer lifespan. Um, it's said in the book that regular consumers of spice, uh, i.e. wealthy people, because only wealthy people would be able to consume spice regularly, uh, can live at least four times longer than they would naturally and four times longer than somebody consuming no spice. So I think that's like an incredible benefit. Um, I mean, imagine humans on Earth being able to uh, live, you know, 400 plus years. Mm -hmm. uh, that would just be, you know, certainly a way to perpetuate wealth yeah. in, I mean, even more than we already see it on, on our planet, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's often called in the book the geriatric spice as well. Um, meaning that the, the primary use of the spice for the, the common populace is the extension of life. Yeah, and I mean, that is just like creating a system that will spiral, certainly, and, you know, perpetuate itself in terms of like inequality. And it, it's a really compelling concept for, uh, for a book on this topic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, uh, spice also improves the user's overall health, so uh, they will suffer fewer health issues throughout their life. But then the, the, the really big things uh, within Dune 1965 or the, or the Dune 1984 film um, are the, the parts about heightened awareness. Mm -hmm. And so uh, users of the spice uh, will, uh, you know, have this this uh, sixth sense, let's say, or, uh, you know, a, a, a way to perceive the world better than other people. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Nick, I mean, did you want to talk about sure, that? Sure, yeah. It almost creates this like mutation in humans. Um, and, and, you know, at, at its strongest form, like we see with Paul, like it actually gives him like premonition. Um, he can see through his dreams, the future. Um, and eventually down the road sort of becomes this omniscient character who can just sort of see the universe. Um, on like smaller levels, like we talked about earlier, we have the, the Mentats and the Bene Gesserit who use it, one to become su super intelligent and then the other to sort of connect more, you know, wholly with the universe. Um, yeah. Right. And we've, we've gone, uh, pretty in depth with the, the interstellar travel already, but, um, the the way it sort of works is uh, initially at least uh, before they start bending space and time uh, i didn't i didn't necessarily uh, do research on that part mm -hmm. um, but it just allows because of the premonition aspect it allows humans to uh, predict uh, how a space voyage is going to go and therefore they can guarantee that it's going to be safe and accurate uh, their path is going to be safe and accurate through space mm -hmm. right. um, and in addition, it will uh, slow down time for for those people using the spice, and so they can go on longer space voyages uh, without, you know, losing so much time in terms of their life. Yeah. And the uh, the navigators on these on these spaceships, um, primarily, they're employed by the spacing guild that we've mentioned a couple of times, um, but they they're actually uh, contained within a tank uh, filled with spice gas. Mm -hmm. And so they are immersed in spice for their entire existence, pretty much, or at least their entire work life. Yeah. This was something in the movie that was not really explained that well. And it's kind of actually really creepy. They're essentially these, at least portrayed in the movies as this, this giant, almost like fleshy slug person who's just sort of floating in spice. You can see them inhaling and exhaling the spice. And, uh, they seem to have some sort of omniscient powers as well. Um, yep, and they also experience like physical body change. So mm -hmm. spending that much time immersed in the spice uh, will cause their their feet to grow fins and their hands to become webbed or finned as well. Mm -hmm. And so and and they elongate. It's it's a very strange sight. Yeah, they also have 
extreme facial deformations as well, where their their mouths sort of shift into this V shape as opposed to a more human kind of expression. So a little bit more on the psychoactive properties, and, and we talked a little bit about the religious use, um, but one, one thing that we hadn't brought up uh, is that not only do certain religious groups um, use spice to see the future, but they also use it to access genetic memory. Mm-hmm. So sort mm-hmm. of their their ancestors' memories are accessible through the use of the spice. Um, and also it just heightens other senses to be able to perceive uh, you know, more of the universe and more of perhaps the, the religion. Right. Yeah, like in the movie, uh, the Bene Gesserit uses this thing called the water of life, which actually comes from the, uh, the uh, adolescent form of the worms. Um, but it, it essentially allows them to pass on their memories. And in the movie, um, Paul's mother, uh, Jessica, is actually pregnant while she takes this water. And then the memories of the Bene Gesserit sister that they're with actually pass through Jessica and into the unborn child. And then has like genetic effects where then the unborn, uh, Paul's sister, who is then born later, actually like ages more rapidly and has like, you know, all the memories of the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. not only that, but in this particular case, Alia's, Alia's memories then transfer retroactively to all the other Bene Gesserit. Because um, technically, the Bene Gesserit kill all children that are born this way. This is this is an abomination to their, their particular order. Um, but in this particular case, because Alia is um, like secluded by the Fremen, um, she's allowed to live and grow up um, because Jessica essentially um, betrays the Bene Gesserit. Um, she is supposed to have a daughter with Duke Atreides, who they will, the Bene Gesserit are going to marry to the son um, or nephew of the of House Harkonnen. Um, and that, the child from that union is the Bene Gesserit's, you know, messiah. Um, but instead, what ends up happening is she betrays the Bene Gesserit, has the son Paul, uh, because she falls in love with Duke Atreides. Um, and then um, uh, uh, Paul's child, um, uh, with his Fremen concubine, um, uh, becomes that particular uh, prophet character, um, Leto II, uh, named after uh, Duke Atreides, whose first name is Leto, um, in the, the Dune Messiah uh, and Children of Dune books. Um, so it's, it's, it's very interesting, um, you know, kind of the, the plans that the, the Bene Gesserit put, a, put in motion uh, didn't, didn't come out quite the way that they wanted them to. Um, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> yep. and yeah, so uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. The idea of a child um, being awakened to consciousness, you know, in utero um, and um, being completely full aware of their identity and the entire genetic memory history of the Bene Gesserit order and their breeding program so um, the child is like this super intelligent person and I think in portions of the book they describe like her mastery over her own body like she can control individual muscles in her body I think one particular scene um, is her like just playing with a single muscle on one of her toes Um, and she's just you know flexing that one muscle because she can control every single aspect of her body so uh, like many drugs, spice also has some negative side effects. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, tints all the parts of the user's eyes dark blue. So that includes the, the you know, the cornea, the sclera, the iris, all, all of it. They're all, it's all just dark blue. And uh, in certain cultures, um, that's seen as a source of pride, particularly, uh, you know, among the Fremen. Uh, having having these dark blue eyes is like a, a, a sign that you are you know a good and healthy person. But in other cultures, uh, you, it's almost required to hide your blue eyes behind tinted contact lenses because um, they are perceived as being you know other or uh, wealthy or what anything something very negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and tainted by the spice or whatever. Right. Yeah. Tainted. Yeah. Um, that is the only, I, I believe the only physical change that you would go through unless you are sort of immersed in the spice, like those navigators. Mm-hmm. Um, 
However, uh, it is also true that the spice is highly addictive and it's not really enumerated how, but uh, withdrawal from the spice is known to be fatal. Uh, and nobody really knows why or or is able to prevent that. But if you stop, if you are a regular user of the spice and then you stop using it, you will die yeah, yeah. Uh, fairly quickly. Yeah. There, there is no cure for the spice sickness. Yeah. Yeah. One interesting sort of physical change that I that uh, I didn't you know know more about until I started looking this stuff up was like that Leto the second actually at some point later in the series attempts to become a sandworm. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I I remember this from childhood because I actually watched um, one of the old TV series. I believe that takes place in that um, where he starts, you know, his skin starts to harden like a sandworm's, and then in the in the sto- in the book he actually uses the sand trout and like attaches them to his body to almost like terraform his body into yeah. becoming a sandworm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot. How of does his- that work out for him? I don't know much more than that because i only it was a long time ago since i watched the movie or the tv show and then i haven't read that part of the books yeah so so what happens is uh leader the second paul's son uh who's the son of duke atreides um uh basically tries to fulfill this this messianic prophecy because uh he can see you know into the future um and he can see that terrible distant future that the Bene Gesserit have been trying to prevent. Um, and he begins on this whole path of genetic engineering for humans, um, which, you know, m- might be considered a spoiler, um, but uh, the ideally... We're pretty deep in <laughs> That's fair. That's to, fair. To, to be worried spoiler about spoilers. That's, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, Leto II begins this breeding program of humans to make them invisible to prescient powers. Um, So uh, he begins this process. um, And in order to do that, he has to live for a very long time, longer than what uh, spice is going to naturally allow him to do. And so what he does is he dopes himself on spice um, and then starts attaching the sand trouts to his body. And because he is so doped up on spice, the sand trouts treat him like a spice mass. And so they start merging and growing with his body. Um, and so through a lot of the art and pictures that are depicted of him, um, it's basically just sort of like a human head on this sandworm body. Um, and so he ends up living around, I think, 3,500 years. Um, and a part of that process is he actually kills off the rest of the sandworms on Arrakis. So he himself, not only was just Arrakis the only source of spice before, it was a whole planet full of spice. Now he himself is the only source of spice in the universe. And so he controls the whole Imperium of Mankind um, and has absolute dictatorial power at that point. Um, and, you know, goes on this this quest to kind of complete um, the process of, um, of the genetically breeding humans who are invisible to foresight uh, because that's the only way that the humans could evade this future evil that is coming that has the foresight all right they have the ability to see and and use foresight and i i you know be able to find and detect humans wherever they live um whereas you know uh he creates these group of people who cannot be predicted by this foresight power um and then at the end um he ends up dying or relinquishing power um but he passes on a lot of his knowledge and his uh intelligence to the sandworms that were part of his body and so the sandworms go back to living on dune um and re-terraform the planet back from you know the green planet it was back to the desert planet um but the sandworms are smarter they're more intelligent and they're they're better adapted for living um so it's this very interesting process that that he goes through and just the the genetic mutability that spice um has like this this ability to mutate genes and and deform things that are currently living like the um, Mm -hmm. guild navigators um and then also to assist in you know these genetic breeding programs as well so many ethical questions so many ethical up, questions a lot of ethical questions yeah it, i mean it's, it's one of those you know the ends justify the means right like he believed fully that if he did not do this then humanity would cease to exist so um 
you know, and there- but in so doing, he you know made an entire population extinct of sandworms and then reintroduced a completely different population that had probably different genetics yep yeah so it's it's yeah it's it's very interesting um you know there's uh you know the a lot of the common themes are just you know consequences of people who are in power um Mm. you know and and those kinds of things too so yeah I mean, imagine if we did that with gnomes. That wouldn't be okay, right? We don't know what uh, the gnome uh, gen- genome mapping will lead to, so it's possible. That's true. Uh, maybe there will be a, a synthetic uh, gnome that they'll reintroduce into the wild, and that, that would be uh, a very interesting development. <laughs> How do we get back to gnomes? all right so so let's take another quick break and then we'll talk about the spice melange in pop culture let's talk about the spice melange in pop culture so since the 1965 science fiction novel Dune, where it first appeared, um, the, the spice has uh, been a key factor in the Dune franchise throughout 24 plus novels, three films plus one film that is, uh, you know, will be out very shortly, um, five video games, four tabletop games, uh, a wide range of short stories and comics. Uh, all of these feature spice as a as a key component, and then I think uh, Nick, you had some other references in pop culture. Yeah, sure. It's popped up in a lot of uh, TV shows and movies, uh, The Simpsons, Futurama, uh, even Ready Player One, where Arrakis was mentioned as a destination that exists in the Oasis. So it's 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 sort of this cult classic of a book and and movie where it, you know within the sci-fi dome of things where it just perforates everything much like the spice (laughs) funny how that works Mm -hmm. um i also wanted to uh, call directly out uh south park season 23 episode 8 which is titled turd burglars um it the the premise of the of the episode is that tom brady's fecal matter is compared to the spice melange and uh, various various uh, people in the South Park universe will go to great lengths to obtain Tom Brady's feces, uh, and uh, you know, use those to gain power and status. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting. The 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 best parts of the episode for me were the parts where somebody was talking about, you know, going to steal Tom Brady's poop or whatever, and then the person that they were talking to would just sort of break the fourth wall, look, look directly at the camera and say, they know, they know about the spice melange. It's just, it's just like <laughs> such a such a great, um, because it, it's sort of in the, in the Dune 1984 style of like over-dramatized, overacted oh my god um, yeah I, you know. I was gonna bring that up but like please do um so there was a lot of it's almost like they when they were making the movie they like pulled from the book or something where the, everyone has internal thoughts everyone has like and it and it's like yep. every scene with someone and they're just just like staring at something and they're like internal thoughts oh this is how did this relate to this how does this do this um but yeah, the overacting was amazing too. There's one moment at the very end of the film where Paul is is fighting the Harkonnen, essentially champion. And after it defeats him, uh, one of the the Fremen just in the most sassy voice I've ever heard someone say. He goes, "Moa, deep, like bitch, you didn't like." <laughs> so if you get a chance, just watch that scene just for the sassy Moa deep. Um, because it's, it's worth it for sure. Yeah, and I think they they definitely, um, you know, call that trope out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the internal monologue one 
uh, in the in the South Park episode because one after somebody pauses and have have that they have that internal monologue of like. <laughs> Uh, they know about the spice. Uh, one of the main characters says, "Like, why is everybody pausing so long after I say something to them?" <laughs> Just like I gotta watch this now because that was like one of my main like notes from the from watching the movie is like everyone is just talking <laughs> in their head all the time. How, how yeah. does everyone know what's going and on? And they're all just they're all just saying, "Yes, but the spice must flow." Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that, like, the, I I had only read the original dune book mm-hmm. um for for many years and then i recently watched the 1984 dune film and man i i knew that the spice was a central theme but the amount that they just you know do those one-liners of like the spice must flow mm-hmm. and like all of that in the in the movie is just it, it's way too much for yes. me and, you know paul's like the worm is the spice. The spice is the worm. Like, it's just like so. Like, it was at times like very like trying to be like Shakespearean. Like, oh, like very you know. But then other times it was just very random and like, why are they they talking about this in the way yep. that they are? There's a couple of cool cameos in the movie though. Like, uh, um, what's his name? Let's see here. Uh, Patrick Stewart's in there. Like. Yeah, no, prob- I don't know. Let's see, eighty four. That's pre. Is that pre um, Star Trek? Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, main character Paul is played by Kyle MacLachlan, who's you know obviously in Twin Peaks, another David right. Lynch uh, property there. Um, and there was one more. That- oh, uh, Sting. Sting plays Harkonnen or Harkonnen. Oh guy. Yeah. yeah. At the very end, the one he fights. So, a couple of random pulls in there, but you know, they're f- fun faces to see. <laughs> And also the, the fe- featured very prominently in the film is the the music of the the classic <laughs> '80s rock band Toto. Yes, Toto is in there. I was like, <laughs> it was very apparent. Which, it, it's just so out of place in this like you know epic fantasy opera, and then they 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 switch to Toto soundtrack. Right. It's, at one point, you just like hear the electric guitars, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's Toto, sure. <laughs> Yep. Well, back to uh, South Park. The, oh, yeah. the episode even includes uh, sandworms and the blue eyes. So I, I would highly recommend if you're a fan of Dune, give that a give that a watch. I just watched it for the first time and it was, uh, you know, 23 minutes well spent or whatever, whatever however long those episodes are. <laughs> um, moving on from that, um, some people uh, say that the spice is based on Frank Herbert's experiences with magic mushrooms. Um, that is totally unsubstantiated as well. Uh, one person who said something like that is the the famed mycologist, mushroom scientist, Paul Stamets or Stamets. Um, so p- different people have theorized that, that spice was inspired by a real drug, um, but uh, Frank Herbert never confirmed that and the Herbert estate is unlikely to, you know, confirm anything like that in the future. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it was the 60s. Interesting. Right? You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it was the 60s. Uh, it's certainly possible that he had those kinds of experiences, but uh, nobody has ever been able to, to, to actually figure it out. Um, I wanted to talk also about a couple of products uh, that are that are for sale on the market. Uh, so Pinch Spice Market sells a spice mixture called Spice Melange and Arrakis Southwest Seasoning. <laughs> and I, in some of their literature, they said a Southwest Arrakis Seasoning, which is way, way funnier than a, an Arrakis Southwest Seasoning. Just like thinking about yes. Arrakis as having a Southwest. Right, this giant desert planet and yeah, the Southwest of that. Having a bunch of yeah. yeehaw boys sitting in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> But the but the official the official name is an Arrakis Southwest seasoning, and it includes the mind killer. (laughs) (laughs) The spice must flow. (laughs) It includes uh, salt, black pepper, green pepper, paprika, ancho pepper, cayenne pepper, garlic, cumin, thyme, and marjoram. So I mean, it seems like a pretty good all around spice mixture, but. We should do an experiment. Uh, just, we're gonna buy like gallons of it, and we're gonna put me in a glass tube. <laughs> just gonna douse me in in this mixture, and so we're just gonna see what happens. Yeah. Best case, space travel. Worst case, lung cancer. Death. 
<laughs> Lots of sneezing. There's a lot of pepper Lots in of there. I don't... A lot of pepper yeah. in there. That's true. Uh, there's also a tea blend called the Spice Melange. Uh, it's from Adagio Teas. And that includes uh, black tea, ginger, cloves, cardamom, cinnamon, cinnamon and orange. Yeah, that sounds um, actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good, and also they've include the, included the cinnamon that was mentioned in the book mm-hmm. as one of the possible tastes of the spice. So, uh, you know, props on that. I would say the, uh, the, the, the spice mixture that doesn't include cinnamon is really not doing justice to, to the book wow, because that's the yeah. only thing we have to go off of, of yeah. what spice might taste like. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Real missed opportunity there. Yeah, I, I um, think so, too. Yeah. So, I don't know, if you are designing a spice mixture or, or you'd like uh, to consult with the Spice cast on that, uh, we would love to, uh, you know, to work with you on that. Uh, or if you're working on a, a different kind of a product that, that is going to be called the Spice Melange or something, uh, we'd love to work with you on that. So, please reach out to the show at podcast at thespicecast.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to work with you. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Twitter at the SpiceCast or Facebook at the SpiceCast Podcast. Um, and I'll, I'll note that there are various other recipes called Spice Melange in one form or another, but um, those two were the, the the very noteworthy ones. So, do either of you uh, have any final words about uh, spice or Dune or anything like that? Yeah. So um, uh, it's really interesting. Um... Uh, you know, people who people who do space and and planetary science and those kinds of things, they're they're just super big nerds. Um, and uh, it's very common when they are you know examining a planet or um, interstellar body that they will um, uh, give features of that planet names that are related to a lot of science fiction and fantasy things. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, um, one of Saturn's moons, Titan, um, uh, has uh, low plains or, you know, dune-like areas, sandy areas, uh, named after planets in the fictional dune universe. Um, so there's a Arrakis uh, Planitia, um, and then a whole bunch of other planets uh, that are, are named after, or planes that are named after planets um, in the Dune universe. So I thought that was a, a very interesting um, uh, tidbit information. They sit alongside uh, mountains that are named after um, uh middle earth um uh locations as well so uh the arrakis planitia yeah sit next to doom mons uh named after mount doom yeah yeah so it's it's super it's super fun um to kind of kind of go look in into this because they they always pick you know very various um you know theming for for a lot of names and things like that and it's it's very fun but yeah, that's not, maybe not necessarily pop culture, but um, you know, no, it's it's, nice. it's it's interesting to to kind of see it kind of leak out there and and you know be a permanent part of human history, right? Like, um, if we ever make it to um, you know these these uh, moons of Saturn, someone will stand on the Arrakis Planitia, mm-hmm. and yeah, at and... some you know maybe you know several hundred, maybe a thousand years into the future, this pop culture you know doomed will survive. Yeah, and, and perhaps that will be known as the ancestral name of this place mm-hmm. if there is, you know, a, a civilization that's built there. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's fun and interesting because you know there there are also services that will allow you to like name stars after people. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. And so I I always um there's a, a popular webcomic that did a, a little bit on this and you know there's in the far future there's a you know there's this you know evil you know dictator alien sitting on on his throne and his you know his um little people down at the computer and say yeah the course has been set and he says all right set course for the Susan system. <laughs> 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 but it just it always amuses me that that these little bits of things will will leak out um, in in perpetuity for right. for human human kind. Yeah, it could have long lasting effects down the road there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I gotta say that I'm pretty excited for the new movie coming out just because it has a great cast. It looks mm. uh, the effects look great from what I've seen Definitely. with the trailer. Um, and I w- and I would you know I would recommend that people watch the 1984 film just just for how ridiculous it is um 
but there was like very good elements too that i liked like there was very interesting set design like when they're on arrakis and uh they're like in their buildings it looks very futuristic but everything's made out of wood like little things like that little details that are just like this that they put some thought into this you know um, yeah, and some of the CG is laughable, but some of it is really not bad, yeah, yeah. For, especially for the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's maybe worth sitting through the whole thing, but definitely but, check it out. Uh, Watch but definitely, on YouTube or definitely check it out. Yeah, and also to see, you know, if you're a fan of Twin Peaks or uh, you know of Star Trek, to see Kyle MacLachlan or Patrick Stewart way before they were you know mm-hmm. well known right exactly i mean this was kyle mclaughlin's first film right i think it was pretty early he's super young in the in the movie so yeah makes sense yeah, yeah i'm pretty excited for the, the new one coming out so yeah october 22nd dune in theaters uh you know or streaming i believe yeah um, that might be so... one of the hbo ones that are coming out that's actually where i watched the 1984 one it's probably why they put it on there because of the because of the one there that's coming out they want people to watch it makes sense Get, build yeah. the hype build the hype <laughs> all right well if there isn't anything else then i just wanted to thank both of you for being on the show it's been super fun to have you and to talk about spice so so thank you so much steven mm-hmm. no problem and Good thank you here. yeah and thank you nick for uh coming on the show for the first time yeah yeah thanks i'm, I'm glad i could be a part of this little unorthodox spice cast uh episode but it was definitely fun yeah and i very much appreciate the immense knowledge that both of you brought i am not a dune expert by any means just like i'm not a spice expert so uh i you know i had read the the first book and seen the movie but i i definitely appreciate that that you had a lot more knowledge of the sort of expanded universe so i appreciate that thank you and thank you also for listening to this episode of the SpiceCast. Um, if you would like to follow us, you can do so on social media uh, at the SpiceCast on Twitter or at the SpiceCast podcast on Facebook. If you have questions or comments or you want to talk about your, your Dune fan theories, feel free to email us at podcast at thespicecast.com. And finally, uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on the podcast platform of your choice, um, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, or, or what have you, uh, that is really appreciated and helps more people find out about the Spice Cast and learn about spices and then sometimes uh, science fiction novels uh, and series that we decide to feature because <laughs> they, they relate to spice. Um, uh, yeah, so with that, I have been your host, Ruben, and this has been episode 24 of the spice cast uh the spice melange thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time All right, so you want to talk more about Spice? You ready sure. for that? Spice? Sure. Right. You don't want to just talk about gnomes for another hour? <laughs> I mean, if you want to have the, uh, the, the gnome variety hour, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say no to that. I wouldn't say gnome to that. We're done with Spices. This is the gnome cast now. Um, <laughs> the, the gnome dome. The gnome dome. <laughs> <laughs>